day, and welcome to Wheat Pete's Word here on RealAgriculture.com for Wednesday, March the 21st. On this episode of The Word, a few responses from last week's episode. Man, you guys keep me honest. Then, nitrogen on wheat. If not now, when is the right time? A really interesting fertility question. Then we're going to play catch-up. I've been asked a while back to talk about cereal rye before corn. Some new data there. Also, strip-till. What have we learned? Finish up at the end of the episode with a bunch of questions around manure. Let's go. First off, Owen sent me an email and said, Peter, hey Peter, my wheat's all brown. It's dead. I'm killing the wheat crop. (laughs) Come on, Owen, you know better than that. And Owen responds back with, yep, absolutely. But you say I got to kill the wheat crop three times. This counts. I don't know. Is this number two or number three? I have no idea. But the wheat is absolutely fine, even if it's looking brown. The other thing that Owen said, hey, Peter, Come on now, think about this. You're talking about building soils. So yep, building soils. We're gonna go edible beans, wheat, corn, wheat. Whoa, wait a minute. Wheat after corn, what is wrong with this picture? Fair enough, Owen. I I was only focused on building the soils. Remember, corn, wheat after corn rather, is just an all-bed scenario. Don't like it at all. From a fusarium risk, where we have fusarium, that's a really, really big deal. On the canola, into the alfalfa grass stubble out in Saskatchewan, a couple of quick notes. Ray called in and said, hey, Peter, Canola, isn't the Roundup label, doesn't it limit the amount of glyphosate you can actually apply? No, I looked at that label. You made me double check, Ray. You absolutely made me double check. But it's no issue. I think it's up to 1.27 liters per acre per application as well as you can apply repeatedly. So not a problem there. Terry called in. Terry Phillips from Tomiskaming Ag said, Peter, we had that exact same scenario up here. What we did, we actually didn't grow Roundup Ready canola. We grew Liberty Link canola, Invigor canola, point five liter per acre of glyphosate as the burn down and so this assumes that I can get you know that four or five inches of alfalfa growth before we plant the canola but I like that if we can get there and then sprayed Liberty and Select it held the alfalfa season long had an excellent canola crop so that's all good but Terry also said that at harvest at canola harvest a beautiful five inch high stand of alfalfa in the canola stubble had to plow that in the fall just to make sure they got kill on the alfalfa so that tells me that the program worked it held it for the season but oh it didn't really kill the alfalfa she's a little bit risky i'm still kind of leaning toward roundup ready canola and just go back in there glyphosate's not great on alfalfa but if we hit it enough times with kind of that leaderish application i think that's not a bad answer but another thought process for sure and thanks for that thought terry steve sent me a tweet and said hey peter she's red clover time what glorious weather in ontario right now for the rest of the of the world that's listening we have excellent weather to put on red clover it's maple syrup time we have nights that are going down to minus seven days that are going up to plus three plus four but terry said you know two-thirds of the field are bare but the rest of the field there's up to a foot of snow is it still okay to put that clover seed on and my answer is absolutely steve go for it the only issue because johnson went out to put some some clover on his own wheat and of course we're doing plots and it's not your four-wheeler it's a Kubota rtv it's a lot heavier it it doesn't float over snow man i didn't make it the first round around the field and i got stuck in that deeper snow so if you're getting stuck that's no fun if the four-wheeler will roll over that foot of snow get that clover on the seed generally speaking it's black it'll track the sun and it'll melt its way down 
into the snow and get to the ground. I don't worry about that snow cover. Just get that clover on. From that perspective, Josh called in and said he was also putting clover on down in that Niagara region. But he's been out through the countryside and there's a lot of sod fields down there. And Josh says, please tell people to keep the cover crops, keep that red clover on the wheat in his region on those sod fields where they took the sod off last fall. No cover whatsoever. Flat fields, gorgeous fields, enough erosion that even on flat fields, they have 10 inch mini gullies where the water tracked and it's all bad news. Josh, you said you'd send me some pictures of that. I'd love to see them. I'd use them in presentations and and it just shows we have to keep this soil covered over the winter if we can at all. All right, let's move on and talk about when to fertilize wheat. I can't believe how many people have asked me that question. Abram from Ontario, Kyle from PEI tweeted me some pictures asking, is was it time out there as well? Some responses from the Annapolis Valley where they still have a whole bunch of snow and absolutely on snow, it's a no-go. If, if there's snow with nitrogen, it's simply a no-go. Some Eastern Ontario feedback and also Perry from Elmire. All these people asking me. Meanwhile, down in Kansas, Jeannie Falk-Jones puts out a, a news release, an article, basically saying in Kansas, it's time to get the nitrogen on. Now, it's a little bit different. Remember, they're a little advanced. They're further south. Plus, it's a super dry climate, so they need to get it on in time to get some moisture to move that nitrogen into the soil and actually make it available. Meanwhile, in Ontario, in the Maritimes, it is absolutely too early. First off, there is awesome research out of Ohio that clearly shows if you put nitrogen on before green up, there's no benefit whatsoever. And so Kyle, in your picture from Prince Edward Island, gorgeous looking wheat field, and you dug down in and you could see some green at the base of the plant. The leaves look primarily dead. That's not really green up. Those are still old leaves just at the base of the plant that haven't burnt off yet. Green up is when you actually start to see that that little bit of new growth coming out of that world. So you weren't at green up yet. You have to wait for green up. The other thing that I really think everybody needs to pay attention to, for goodness sakes, look at where that nitrogen is going to go if you do put it on frozen soil and it doesn't go into the soil. In in Kyle's case, there was water right at the edge of his field. I don't know if it was the ocean or a lake. In eastern Ontario, we've had the exact same feedback that the wheat field is right beside a lake. Nitrogen into, into the water course is an all bad scenario. So from that standpoint alone, environmentally, this is the wrong time to put on nitrogen. Now, I got to stop and say there are exceptions to everything that I say all the time. If you have late planted wheat, if you're Niagara Peninsula, if you're up in the Grey Bruce Peninsula, both places, super late planted wheat, zero tillers, then getting out early, even just at the beginning of growth, kind of now or or within the next week or 10 days, when we're getting those daytime temperatures, seven degrees Celsius, that wheat's going to start. We got to give it every boost that we can to try to help it to tiller a little bit in the spring, if it will at all. So don't put a lot of nitrogen on. It would only be 50 pounds because we don't want to take a big risk on putting the whole shot out there. But on really late planted wheat, a little bit of nitrogen isn't all bad. Also, been asked about what about protected nitrogen this time of year? Agritain, Entrench, ESN. Nah, come on. It's so cold. We're, we uh, The risk of loss is so low. I don't see spending the money at this time of year on any of those products. It's either wait with your nitrogen on early planted wheat that looks really good or a little bit of nitrogen on late planted wheat, but no 
need to protect whatsoever. Bruce, you asked about splitting sulfur. You heard from another source that you should put some sulfur on your first application, some in your second. We haven't done research on that. Inherently, when you think about that, I'm not sure why you need sulfur in the second application. We can lose nitrogen, but we don't really lose sulfur. So uh, perhaps we should look at that. If you want to split your sulfur as well, I don't think it's bad. The critical part about sulfur is that there must be enough in that early application. So I really would like to see a minimum of 10 pounds of sulfur on wheat, at least here in Ontario, and I think in the Maritimes as well, in that first application. Or if that first application is the whole application, then put her all on there. Don't forget, by the way, that ammonium thiosulfate that we would put in with 28%, it really is hot. It makes that 28% burn even worse than just straight 28%. So late ammonium thiosulfate put in with a a second application in 28, oh, that's really going to increase the burn potential. A little bit worried from that perspective. All right, enough. Gosh, you would think that I like to talk about wheat or something. Going to move on to a really cool soil fertility question. So Mark at Napanee said, hey, Peter, I'm on a clay loam soil. I've got lots of manure, a corn soybean wheat rotation, but potash, 234 parts per million, 452 parts per million. Oh my gosh, Mark, that's that's incredibly high. Meanwhile, cation exchange capacity in the soils, 24 to 25, and the base saturation on his potash is, is 2.4%. So I'm not a big base saturation guy, but Basically, if you're over 2%, you should be okay if you follow that philosophy. 4% is the target. And then it gets really interesting because Mark says when he grows soybeans, he gets deficiency. Wow. At 452 parts per million, I just, I can hardly believe you can get potash deficiency regardless of cation exchange capacity, base saturation. That is just bizarre to me. And then you said you you can correct it with foliar potassium. Again, hokey smacking. That just is is really tough to get my brain around because trying to correct a macronutrient deficiency like potash with a foliar application is just about impossible. So I'm scratching my head saying, what else is going on there? Is it compaction or from the manure application or what's, what's the situation? So two things, Mark. First off, you see that potash deficiency? Let me know if I could get out there. I want to come see for myself on a 452 parts per million that you can see potash deficiency. Second, you said, could you fix it by spreading muriate of potash or K-mag ahead of your soybeans or also in your wheat crop? So your magnesium at, at 15%, it's lots. I don't see any reason to add K-mag. It's way too expensive a source. What I'd like you to do, Mark, is take some strips and spread some muriate of potash in those strips and let's see what kind of response you get if that potash deficiency actually goes away. It's a really cool thought process and one of those things I just love trying to get my brain around. Okay, moving on. Tom, you asked about the research from Allison Robertson. She's with Iowa State and, and Dave Hooker tweeted out some, some information from from a webinar that she had around cereal rye as a cover crop before corn. Really, really cool research. So first off, as soon as you put cereal rye as a cover crop ahead of corn, the root rot in that corn goes up dramatically, especially pythium. So a few things out of that research that I think you have to pay attention to. The year effect is unbelievable. In 2014, a dry year, almost no impact of the rye, not zero impact, when you killed the rye after planting, you significantly reduced yield. But beyond that, there was really very, very little impact. So I think that tells you the 
that soil type plays on your sand soils much less likely to see an issue because you're much less prone to root rots but if you look at the 2015 data that's astounding so now that's a wet year and any rye whatsoever any rye reduced the yield so that's that's really intriguing doesn't matter when they killed it rye as a cover crop reduced the yield however it was a really severe yield loss when they killed the rye less than 14 days ahead so if you look at that data the radical they looked at the amount of root rot on the radical and when there was no rye in 2015 eight percent of the radicals had root rot on them as soon as they put rye in there they had 25 percent of the radicals even when they killed it early when they killed it eight days before planting or later they had 80 percent think about that 80 percent of the roots the radicals were actually infected with some form of root rot no wonder the corn is affected so the yields wow with no rye under those wet conditions 225 bushels per acre when they killed the rye early greater than 14 days ahead of planting 209 bushels per acre so that's still you know 16 bushels it's significant but it at least puts it not too bad then after that so 209 greater than 14 days at 10 days ahead of planting 201 bushels per acre at three days ahead of planting 192 bushels per acre at one day after planting 183 bushels per acre a direct correlation with when we killed the rye to what kind of a yield that we got i i think that says you're going to have rye ahead of corn man cereal rye you just have to kill it at least 14 days ahead of planting okay hopefully that addresses that move on mac you asked about the key strip till issues that we've learned over the past year and i think this is awesome so a few things first off this winter i'm astounded at how many meetings i've been at where the producer panel talked about strip till and it was almost all positive it's working for growers so that that's cool and I really need to take my hat off to Veritas and Southwest Ag Partners because that strip till project they dragged me into it I, I loved working on it but it brought strip till to the forefront again and I think that's all good a lot more people are making it work what have we learned spring refreshing strips man most of the time on clay soils if you refresh the strips in the spring it's all bad it's negative and it, it just seems that the clay soil uh, somehow is is too wet in the spring for that not always maybe but that that's one of those things that we've learned the silt soils sometimes they need refreshing so if you go out to a silt soil and it's sealed off the way silt soils sometimes can and you just isn't drying out underneath then refresh their work so soil type plays for when you need spring refresh another thing that we learned make sure you have potash in the zone if you don't have potash in the zone she is all bad full stop it's just it's reduced tillage and potash availability goes down and so potash levels have to be sufficient and some of that starter fertilizer should be potash for sure the other things some people have trouble staying on the strip in the springs others do not i'm not sure why that is whether it's how much loose soil we have there how much side draft there is but if you're having that trouble you almost have to start using gps to steer the planter as well and i know that's an added cost i haven't got my brain around what the difference is there but that's another thing making the strip into cover crops so as we move into more and more cover crops wow does strip till ever help there but you either do it early before the cover crop starts to really grow or you mow the cover crop and then the strip tiller tends to work much much better the last thing what about blowouts on hills where we strip till in the fall down one of these steep slopes yes it can happen absolutely but most guys if you build that berm properly it has not been the 
issue that we expected it to be. If you leave any hollows whatsoever, it's all bad. But if you can do a good job on the berm, it seems to work better than we thought. And wow, look at that. Once again, I am out of time. Who do you know that talks more than Johnson? <laughs> it's just horrendous from that perspective. In any case, I apologize. The manure stuff will wait until next week. Meanwhile, on behalf of the team at realagriculture.com, this is Wheat Pete with the word for Wednesday, March the 21st. Keep the feedback coming. I love it. And we'll answer more questions next week. Talk to you then.